Nativia, www.netivyah.org. Is it possible to restore the New Testament church? A three-part series recorded February 1994 at North Atlanta Church of Christ. Part 2 of 3. At the age of 16 and a half, Joseph Shulam became a believer in the Messiah, Jesus. He was expelled from his home because of that belief. Two weeks later, he came to be where I was, a student at Georgia Christian. I was working with the school in Valdosta. He came to be a student with us there at Georgia Christian School and was with us for two years as a student. He went to Michigan Christian College after graduation from high school, which was a junior Christian college. He then went to David Lipscomb College, now university, and received his degree from there. And then some years lapsing along the way with his working in Israel, he went and has completed work and is now candidate for his doctorate degree at Hebrew University. And he is recognized in Messianic Jewish people circles as one of the scholars among us. And not just there, but among others of us as well, many, many uh, religious leaders, preachers, and scholars go to the Holy Land to seek out Joseph to guide them in studies of the Word and in that environment in which it originally came. We're fortunate to have Joseph with us. One of the key things that keeps Joseph uh, aggressive and working with us in the churches of Christ and as a part of the churches of Christ, just the same as I and others of us are, is because of our, the heart of our plea is let's go back to the Bible. Let's restore uh, New Testament Christianity as it was revealed in, in, in its beginning. And it's that restoration plea that he's going to be talking to us about this morning. Hallelujah for this singing. The wonderful instruments that God has given us. And uh, if we know how to use them, it's, it's better than anything that I've ever heard before. Praise God. When I was 16 and a half, I came to Georgia, there in the heart of the Hokifanoki swamps, <laughs> in a place called Dasher. And I went to church at the central church in Valdasta, and every Sunday morning, there was a special door made on the right side of the pulpit. Was an ambulance came in. They pulled out a stretcher. And they brought a man, I don't remember his name. They brought a man into the right side of the aisle who was paralyzed from the neck down. Couldn't do a thing. But he could speak and smile. And I remember what a great encouragement that man was to me. And I think to everybody in that church. He never missed a church service. He couldn't go and do mission work. Or go hand out literature and tracts. He couldn't do much. He didn't have any money as far as I know. But he had that joy of God in his eyes. And he was encouraging everybody in that church. Uh, he wasn't saved by works. He was saved by the grace of God. He couldn't run a mile for the Lord. But that smile and those eyes 
were a tremendous witness to the power of Jesus Christ in his life. In fact, folks, most of the people who have encouraged me greatly in my ministry have been people, one girl by the name of Joyce, that was a student at David Lipscomb College, a Bible major. The first female Bible major at David Lipscomb College. Her name was Joyce. She was blind. Totally blind. But she always had a smile and a wonderful sense of humor. And a great attitude toward God and toward the men. You never heard her bitter or complaining. Always loving people and encouraging them. If we don't learn to restore the attitude of the early Christians in our life today, we have done nothing. We have done nothing if we don't learn to restore the attitude of the early Christians. In order to share a few of these attitudes with you, I have chosen to take a passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 through 22. But, for the sake of the preachers among us, I'm going to actually start the reading from verse 12. But the lesson really starts from verse 18. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. That is not a paid commercial for Bill. Okay? But, but this is what the text says. That you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from that which is evil. In this list of things that the Apostle Paul is admonishing the church in Thessalonica. There are some very, very important things without which there is no restoration of the early church, there is no restoration of biblical faith, there is no restoration of the family of God's children, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ on whom he is ahead. These things that are listed here are absolutely essential and no less essential than baptism or breaking of bread. No less essential. Now, the first thing that has to do with attitude here appears in verse 13. 
Live in peace with one another. Peace in the body of Christ is probably the most lacking element that we have today. We lack peace in the body of Christ. We have not learned to live in peace, to seek peace aggressively in the body of Christ. The attitude that I see oftentimes when I'm traveling in the United States is that everybody is looking to find some fault with somebody else so that they could write him up in some brotherhood journal. Huh? On the slightest thing. Even when the facts are not true, they are quick to do so. Blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah. Peace is an attribute of God. And believe me, those of us who live in Israel and in the Middle East know what it is to be without peace. We've been living without peace 45 years with our neighbors as our enemies. And we don't like it. And we want peace and we want it now. And it's such a shame that the body of Christ, those who all call upon the name of the Lord, and those who break bread and sing praises to His name in the name of Jesus, don't seem to be able to find that peace. It's a bad witness to the Muslim world that is growing faster than any other religion in the world. It's a bad witness to the Jewish people. Yeah? It's a bad witness to anybody who has eyes in his head and can see what is going on. Peace will come if we learn to take ourselves more humbly. To take ourselves not as those who know it all and have the answers of everything for the whole world, but those who are walking in the pilgrim way, following Jesus Christ. Let us imitate Jesus Christ and His attitude toward His enemies. Let us learn to seek peace and pursue it as a church. We've got to restore the peace of God's body. The only way it's going to be restored if we learn three things. One is that none of us has the authority to know all the truth. But that all of us are seekers. We all have questions. Very few have answers. No, I should say it differently. We all have questions. Yeah? And we all want the answers that God has for us. The second thing that this text tells us is we are urged to admonish the unruly and encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak and be patient with all men. Now this is another thing. We have got to learn to discipline in the body of Christ. It's an aspect which if we don't learn, we don't love. Yeah? If you love your children, you will discipline them. And if the leaders of a congregation 
will love the members, they will discipline them with love and with strength. And they will urge the unruly. The word that is used here in my translation, they will admonish the unruly and encourage the faint-hearted. If the church is going to grow, it's going to have unruly people in it, and it will have faint-hearted people in it, and ignoring that, and letting it go on, is another thing that we are doing wrongly. It is not love when you don't admonish the unruly. And, and this is an aspect that needs to be restored. And unruly doesn't mean during the services. Only. You don't have any unruly people during the services. Come to Jerusalem and you'll see some unruly people during the services. Yeah? Not all of them are believers. Some are people who come there to, to bother. Because we believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah? And we're not locking the door. We're letting him come in. But we also learn to admonish them in the name of the Lord. But I am talking about the life of the church. It's got to be disciplined. And if people don't want to accept discipline, it's their problem. It's an aspect of the church that needs to be restored. And if any of you see me doing something wrong, correct me. And that's the policy that we have in, in, in the small congregation in Jerusalem. Everybody is open to correction and to reproof from the Word of God. And if somebody doesn't like it, find another place. This is a place, God's family and God's body and God's church is a place where there is rules and regulations and there is laws and mercy and kindness and peace and love but for those who want to accept it. Yeah? It's not a club in which everything goes. Yeah? So this is an aspect that needs to be restored in my opinion in our attitude toward one another and toward our leaders and the elders of the church. Yeah? If you're doing something wrong expect somebody to knock on your door. Yeah? And show you the real love of God with a hug and a pat on the back and say, Brother, let me help you. Let me help you in your weak spot. That's the early church. Then, see that no one repays evil for evil. That's one of the wonderful teachings of, of, of Jesus Christ in the Sermon of the Mountain walk the second mile if somebody asks you your coat give your shirt give him your coat also if somebody strikes you on one cheek turn the other cheek that is a basic New Testament Christian teaching and it goes on not only for physical abuse it also goes for spiritual abuse yeah when you are abused spiritually when people malign you and accuse you spiritually for spiritual reasons for the right things that you're doing in God even then you have no right of returning evil for evil because we, we think if somebody strikes you on the cheek fine turn the other cheek but if somebody criticizes you because of what you believe 
When you have book, chapter and verse to prove what you believe. Yeah? And somebody calls you a liberal or, or an ultra conservative or whatever they call you. You feel or, or, or accuses you of, 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 you know, destroying the church. I had one brother, a missionary in Belgium. I was invited to speak in one of the big uh, conferences in Europe. Church of Christ big conference in Europe a few years ago. And uh, I got, all of a sudden I got this letter from a guy, I, I never met him. And he uh, was very nice in the letter. And by and the end of the letter, after praising my work and everything, he said, By the way, brother, I'd really like to learn from you what do you think about divorce and remarriage. And I said to myself, Well, here is a guy really interested in learning the truth. So I went by and wrote him a seven-page typed letter with all the verses and everything. The next letter I got from the same guy started, You are a dog biting at the feet of the caravan. You know, and I'm going to make sure that you're not going to speak in any conference. Yeah. Now we have got to learn not to return evil for evil. Even on these things. Stand on the word of God. Because what happens when you return evil? The joy of the Lord leaves you. But if you learn to turn the other cheek even to those who malign you spiritually. Yeah. Or for your position in the Lord, then you get more joy from God, not less joy. Yeah? And this is an attitude that has got to come into the church. Don't fight back with worldly means, spiritual battles. Spiritual people fight spiritual battles with spiritual instruments. With the love of God. And don't gloat in overreacting in the brotherhood. This is essential if we are going to restore the church. We have got to learn to return blessing to those who curse us. And this is going to be a healing element in our own life as Christians. It's not easy to do. On the night that we had horror in Jerusalem, some of you heard me talk about what happened in Jerusalem, some of the problems that we've had in the church. When I left with a, a sack of, of, of 39 mice and took them to the police and they called my wife and said they'll come with snakes that same night and she was alone at home with the kids. Yeah? You know what she answered them? She said, you are welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. We love you. Yeah? And that devastated the enemy. And it will devastate the enemy again if we learn not to return evil for evil. But bless those that curse us. And there will be people who will curse us. It's a guarantee to anybody who does the will of God. You do the will of God, the enemy will not leave you alone. Learn to return good for evil. It's a part of the way the church functioned in the first century and it's a part of the army of God's people that only does good and doesn't resort to bitterness and to evil at any circumstance. It's not easy, I admit it, but it's something that we've got to restore. That teaching has got to be restored. 
both for physical abuse and for spiritual abuse. When I finished the rabbinical school, the rabbi sent a couple of thugs to beat me up. They cornered me in an in in entranceway, in an alleyway, and they beat me up. I mean, they beat me up, they tore my clothes, and I was bloody all over. They kicked me in the head and everywhere. They didn't know that I had just come to Mount Zion with three Jewish boys that became Christians at that time, not long before this time. And they were visiting one of our other brothers, an old man by the name of Joseph, that was living in Mount Zion. And when I went up to Joseph's house, and these three soldiers, Israeli soldiers, saw me bloody and torn and, and, and not able to open my eyes, they said, who did it to you? And I was stupid enough to tell them the description of the guy who did it. Well, they ran down and went into the rabbinical school in the synagogue and found the guy who did it. And one of these Israeli soldier boys was a big, tall guy. And he was, by the time I got down there, he was already holding him up against the wall with his feet dangling. And he was holding him up with one hand and ready to strike him with the other hand. And I told him, Menachem, stop. He said, what do you want me to do? Now all the rabbinical students were there. What do you want me to do? He said, shall we take him to the police? I said, no, put him down and I forgive him in the name of Jesus Christ. It was a witness. Just three weeks ago, one of our brethren was preaching the gospel and handing out literature in the street, main street of Jerusalem and he got beat up and a guy pulled a gun on him. A lot of us carry guns in Israel, the Israelis, because of the problems with the, with the Palestinians and the terrorism. And the police caught the guy that pulled the gun on this brother and asked the brother in public there in the middle square of Jerusalem, are you willing to press charges against him? He said, no, I forgive him in the name of Jesus Christ. It was a witness. People came there and patted him on the back and said, we respect you for this. We have got to learn that this is a part of the life of the early church. Yeah? It is strength, not weakness, when you do this. You have to be ten times stronger in the Lord and in the Holy Spirit to be able to turn the other cheek to those that malign you. And it's an aspect of the early church that we have got to restore. One more. Always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. We're not enemies in the gospel. I'm not an enemy of the Baptists. I'm not an enemy of the Pentecostals. I'm not an enemy of the Charismatics or the Presbyterians or the Catholics. I'm not their enemy. I want their good. I'm not fighting with them. I'm not interested in them going to hell. I don't rejoice when an Arab is killed without knowing Jesus Christ. Why 
do we act like we're enemies with everybody? Don't we want them to be our brothers? Don't we want them to become our friends? Don't we want them to share in the joy of the Lord and in the glory of His salvation? Why don't we act that way? That we want good for all mankind. That's why I'm preaching the gospel. I'm not preaching the gospel because I want to lamb blast somebody or to win an argument. I don't even win an argument at home with my wife. Been married 25 years, haven't won a single argument yet. Yeah? That's not my interest. It's true, JJ. <laughs> uh, I'm not interested in winning arguments. I'm interested in sharing with people the love of God in Jesus Christ. I want their good. Let's, when we witness and when we share the gospel, let's learn to share it as we really want their good. That's the only way that it's effective anyway. The next thing that the Apostle Paul admonishes the church. Rejoice always. Yeah? Oh, what a wonderful thing is to know that you're in the will of God. If you know that you're in the will of God, you have such peace in your life. Such joy. That even when you are not physically, when you don't have good reasons physically to rejoice, you may be ill. You may be sick. You may have terrible disease. Yeah? But if you know that you're in the will of God, you can rejoice always. You can rejoice always, even knowing that things are going to get tough and difficult. Because the source of your joy is not your bank account or your house or your job. The source of your joy is inside of you. It is the Holy Spirit that comforts. The Holy Spirit that gives strength to face daily life and the weaknesses of the flesh. That's where the joy comes from. This life is not a very long life. We're not going to be here forever. None of us are going to stay here forever. And even if the Messiah comes today, yeah, we can rejoice because we know that we're in Him. But if you're not in Him and your trust has been coming from money, houses, jobs, wealth, then you have to fear. You can't rejoice. There is no reason for Christians to be constantly long-faced. There's only a reason for joy. Moish Rosen, the head of Jews for Jesus, in 1988 put a big double-page ad in the New York Times. He had all young and old Jewish people standing in a, in a group and all of them smiling. And the ad said, do you know why these people are happy? Because they have Jesus of Nazareth as their Lord. It's a good ad. Yeah? And that's the, the only valid reason for being happy in this valley of woe that we live in in this world. The only way that you can be really be happy in the Lord is to know that you are squarely within the will of God. 
and that you have the power of God in your life that can give you strength to go on when your wife is sick, when your mother died, when your job is lost. Yeah? Is to know that you have a father that is able to deliver you from the woes of this life and to give you eternal life in his presence. That's a good reason to rejoice always. That's the only reason to rejoice always. We've got to restore the joy of the Lord into our lives as a church. Yeah? As a church, we are not a very happy church. Am I wrong? Tell me if I'm wrong, correct me. Are we a very happy church? We're not. We've got to restore the joy of the Lord and that will come through faith and reliance on the grace of God. Not on our own works, but on the grace of God. That's going to come and bring us joy in life. The next thing that he says, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Now, if you read the text very carefully, you see what praying without ceasing means. Yeah? It means in everything give thanks. Boy, oh boy, my father was not a Christian until three months before he died. He was a typical Bulgarian. And he enjoyed every night to set the table when he was home with all kinds of salads and with a bottle of Arak, uh, which is like Uzo. And he drank this bottle and went to bed every night. But I have never seen anybody enjoying food like he had. Simple food. A, a fresh cucumber for him. And he savored it. It was a wonderful thing. He didn't thank God because he didn't believe in God. But he enjoyed and was thankful for the farmer that planted the cucumber. Yeah. For us, you know, we have so much blessings from God. Let's learn to thank God, to be grateful to God who provides us with health, with ability to work, with social security to some of you, with whatever it is. But what do we have to complain about? Let's learn to thank God for everything. Yeah? Because if you don't thank Him, He'll take it away. Remember the ten lepers that came met Jesus on the way from Samaria to Jerusalem. And Jesus healed all ten of them. One came back to him. After he had gone already with the other ten, he remembered that he hadn't thanked him. He came back and thanked him. I don't know what happened to the other nine. But I do know that this guy remained healed from the leprosy. The other nine, probably by the time they got to Jerusalem, found out that... They weren't really healed. My time is up, I know. Relax, take it easy. <laughs> I came all the way from Jerusalem for you guys. Uh, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will for you in Christ Jesus? To be thankful for everything. That's His will. It's, it, it, it's His will that you should be thankful for everything. 
and learn to rejoice in all things. Yeah? Do not quench the spirit. That's why my time is up, but I've got to say these couple of sentences. You can't have a church of our Lord Jesus Christ with the spirit locked up in the safe. Yeah? You cannot have a relationship with God without the Holy Spirit dragging you and motivating you and empowering you for that relationship. And we have quenched the spirit in the restoration movement. We have not allowed God to have an active part in our lives. We have allocated the Holy Spirit, locked Him up between two covers of a book. And have forgotten that He is the Spirit that is supposed to lead us unto all truth. To motivate us, to comfort us, to lead us, to guide us. Jesus said, I am leaving, but I am... I'm, I'm leaving, going up to my Father who is in heaven, but I'm giving you somebody else in my place. Have a relationship with Him. Get to know the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to comfort you in your life. Don't quench Him. That doesn't mean become Pentecostal. That doesn't mean become charismatic even. It doesn't mean to start speaking in tongues. Or get Benny Hinn to come here on the stage. Yeah? It doesn't mean any of these things. But it does mean that the Holy Spirit is alive and well and functioning. For the body of Christ. And for the good of the Christians. That's what it means. Let's not quench Him. Let's listen to Him. In our hearts, in our churches, in our minds. Let's allow God to speak to us. From a word and from the Spirit. Together. The last thing. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from that which is evil. evil. Now examine everything. This is the essence of the restoration movement. The essence of the restoration movement is not to accept things just because Joshua Mofoiwala said it. Yeah? The essence of the restoration movement is that every Christian is to examine the word of God and to examine himself in light of the mirror, which is the word of God and Jesus Christ, to judge himself and to hold to that which is good and deal and abstain from that which is evil. And that includes traditions that we may have inherited from our forefathers. It may be all kinds of things that may have seemed good yesterday. But today, in light of the Word and the Holy Spirit, they are no good for us anymore. Yeah? We have got to examine everything and take nothing for granted as a brotherhood. And if we haven't examined them yet, let's give people the benefit of the doubt until we examine them together. If you haven't examined it, why are you judging somebody else on it? Examine it first. Get the, 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 the word of God and the will of God from his word. Through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Then go to your brother with love and show. Look, look what it says here. It says here that we should be doing so and so. Yeah? Fine. I hadn't seen it before. Fine. Yeah? 
Or may, may he may bring another passage, another verse, another thing. To examine the things with love. And to learn to choose that which is good. We're not trying to restore the kind of clothing that they wore in the first century. We're not trying to restore that we should be riding on donkeys instead of cars. It was good. Donkey was good enough for our Lord. Yeah? Maybe it's good enough for us also. We're not trying to restore that. We are trying to restore the essence and the spirit and the principles and the covenant relationships that God had established with His church. That's the essence of the restoration. Now for some of you, I know in a crowd this size, there are probably people to whom this verse spoke that you haven't examined your life and measured it by the measuring stick that God has given us in His Word. You haven't died with Jesus Christ on the cross. You haven't raised into the newness of life. And you find yourself, when you've examined yourself in front of the Word, you found yourself lacking. This congregation is giving you an opportunity this morning that after you have examined to come and ask your brothers to pray for you, to help you, to baptize you, to guide you, anything you need from this congregation. They are giving you an opportunity now as we stand and sing to be able to come forward and ask the body to help you measure up to what the Word of God expects of you. That's the essence of restoration of the individual and of the church. Will you come as we stand and sing? www.netivyah.org